In 2010, director Edgar Wright and star Michael Sarah gave the world a stylized journey through a young man's search for healing. In 2022, we try a new brand that launched mid-pandemic. The film is Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. The whiskey is Puncher's Chance Bourbon. Hey, that's that's yeah, a good pairing. It's Bob, a good one, isn't it? Because they like punch a lot. Because <laughs> of punching. Movie. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll review them both. This is the, the Film and Whiskey, Whiskey Podcast. Welcome to the Film and Whiskey Podcast, where each week we review a classic movie and a glass of whiskey. I'm Bob Book. I'm Brad G. And this week we are continuing our Edgar Wright miniseries with his 2010 film, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Brad, this is a movie that was not originally slated for this season. And in the off season, when we were, you know, coordinating sponsors for this year, we struck up a deal with our friends over at Doc Swinson's and they said, hey, in addition to taking our money, would you like to do a review of our favorite film, Scott Pilgrim versus the world? And we'd been looking for an opportunity to do an Edgar Wright kind of retrospective in the first place. So it worked out perfectly. We slotted in this movie. And the reason I say all that is because for maybe only like the second or third time in the history of our podcast, I had never seen this movie before. Oh my gosh, Robert. Yeah. Where were you in 2010? Not watching this. <laughs> I was buying a ticket to the social network. Not not yeah. this one. <laughs> <laughs> that that would make sense. Yep. Oh man. Yeah, this is uh this is wild. I, I know that charade was a movie I had seen and you had not. Yep. I don't what other movies did you uh I mean there might have been like I don't think I had ever watched well no that's not true I was going to say secondhand lions but I had watched that prior on my recommendation yes, yeah yeah so yeah Man. let's let's just say for the sake of argument this is only the second one ever yeah we should like almost like have a moment of silence this is momentous <laughs> we should have a moment of silence for this movie but it's not for the reason that you're recommending Brad <laughs> Why is, why is that, Bob? I got to say, dude, I, uh, I'm i not a fan of this movie. As soon as you told me you'd never seen it, I was like, I just feel like as I was watching it, I just felt I was like, man, this just doesn't feel like a Bob book type of movie. No. Well, and you know all. how like the older you get, the more I don't want to say set in your ways you are, but you're willing to go out of your comfort zone a little bit to watch films for this podcast, Brad. But in general, you have a good sense going into those movies of like, I'm going to like this movie or I'm not. You know what I mean? And sometimes a movie surprises you. But just generally speaking, there are certain types of movies that everyone has that they like and that they don't like. And I, see, I don't know, man. I was excited to uh, watch a movie about the assassination of a famous cowboy, but uh, <laughs> here we are. That's what I'm saying. So <laughs> this movie, I've never seen it, but partially it's because I think I just always knew I wasn't going to like this movie. I was very familiar with it. I've seen visuals from it before. It's just in this weird kind of subgenre of, I don't even want to call it like video game movie, but that sort of like fantasy loser nerd movie that, that I just like it just Whoa. doesn't no like not it's not a movie for losers and nerds it's like a movie Whoa. about a loser and a nerd that is for fantastical losers and nerds no 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 uh, I no, no. I see what you're uh, saying there Bob stop it fine yeah 
That's right. I'll stand by it. <laughs> oh, hey, man. man, this is the place to be honest with with how you really feel about the world. Yeah, man. It just exists in this really weird place for me where I'll watch a quote unquote like dumb action movie all day. Like, I, you know, I've, I've raved to people about Michael Bay's movie Ambulance this year. I loved that movie. This movie, like, it just it's in this middle ground for me where it's like, eh, I just don't think that's going to be for me. And I'll tell you what, man, I, I respect what is happening on screen. But as it's unfolding, I'm like, this is not for me. If it makes you feel any better, this movie was made on a budget of 60 million and its worldwide gross was 49 million. Yeah. So yikes. clearly the world agreed with you. <laughs> Scott Pilgrim lost in his battle. <laughs> he certainly did, man. All right. So you had seen this movie prior to the podcast. I had. Yeah. Oh, cool. I I think this was my second, maybe third time watching it. I, I know I watched it in college um, at the, the request of a friend. Uh, we, we watched it together at some point and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was like a fun, amusing, quirky kind of movie. Honestly, I think it would have been... I'm pretty sure I saw it before I saw Shaun of the Dead, so I think it would have been my first oh, wow. experience with Edgar Wright. I'm developing a theory, and I say that because I'm everything I say about this movie is going to be an in-development theory, because I literally finished watching this movie 90 seconds before we pressed record. Like, <laughs> like I finished the film, I came on, I said, hey, Brad, and we started recording. What Was there like a really quick Edgar Wright cut from you like <laughs> ripping, ripping the DVD out of the player, <laughs> slamming it into the case, slamming the case closed, pulling your microphone yep. out, and just boom, you're there. And here I am. <laughs> I'll bet that it's fun to watch this movie in a group setting. I bet this movie plays better, like as not a, as a party movie, but you know, there's eight of us hanging out in a room and we're all <laughs> shooting the sh as we're watching a movie, kind so, of a thing. So it's the anti silence, basically. The, the anti silence, <laughs> yes. You should have watched this one instead. But yes. but I think part of why I may not care for this movie is that it is such a hyperactive film that I feel like the more attention you give it, the more exhausting it is. And when you're in a room where you can kind of like make an offhanded comment every now and then or get up and go pee and let the thing keep playing, I actually feel like this would be a perfect movie for that kind of setting. And I actually I don't mean that as a slight at all. I just think that like me sitting in my room, you know, watching this film with my uh, movie critic extra serious hat on may not have been the best mode for watching this movie. I just see Andy from The Office pulling his hard ass hat out. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think, though? Do you think this would be like the ideal setting for this movie is group? Uh, I mean, the first time I watched it, I think it was just me and and my friend Zeke. And so it wasn't like a big group setting, uh, but it was nice to watch it with him. He already had seen it and enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, this time through, I, I watched it as like you, Bob, with my serious movie critic hat on. And by myself late at night. There you so go. So I was uh, still a fan of the movie. Uh, I, I think that the the thing I really like about the movie, if I had to boil it down, is just it's really quirky and zany and kind of off the wall. And the humor works for me. And it's got a really sweet message of like a boy and a girl who are really lost in their lives and finding each other mm -hmm. in the midst of not being certain about what's going on for them. Yeah. I'm like, I, I'm I'm down with that. It, yeah. It's not like a 10 out of 10 or anything. It's, it's not even a 9 out of 10, but it's fun and amusing and entertaining. 
And I, I like that about it. I'm with you, man. I think that there's a, you know, even for me as a guy who didn't care for the movie, it is admirable that everyone involved in this movie is 100% committed to the bit. You know yes. what I mean? Like everyone yep. has bought in and it is a very, yeah. very particular. I think part of what was so jarring about it for me is that it wasn't. I don't know how to explain it. I was going to say it's not self-aware. That's not true because it's totally self-aware, but it's mm -hmm. not self-aware in the Marvel way. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Where they're like undercutting yeah. everything with like mm -hmm. winks at the camera. This yeah. one, like it, it parodies the super serious kind of like anime uh, roots that it's that it's going for. But it's also doing it at like a 100 percent commitment level. And yeah. And I couldn't like part of what threw me was like. I'm trying to figure out, are we watching a fantastical world here where the things in this world are actually happening? Are we just watching what's going on inside some, you know, like young man's head? Are we just supposed to, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't quite understand, like, what's the realism of this world? But again, I think part of the reason that it threw me so much is that they aren't winking at the camera the whole time. And it's kind of refreshing in a way to, to go back and watch a pre- phase three MCU movie where not everything has to be a send up of itself. Well, and that's the beautiful thing about this movie that I, I don't know. I was watching a, uh, this is going to be super nerdy, Bob. I was watching a review of the Dungeons and Dragons movie trailer that just came out the other day. And he was talking about how movies that talk about fantasy have to go in one of two directions. They either have to go the Lord of the Rings route and take it super seriously, or they have to go the Thor Ragnarok route. And as you were saying, the MCU phase three route and just make fun of itself the entire time. Mm -hmm. And obviously the D and D movie is, is going the second route. The thing I love about Scott Pilgrim is that it takes itself really seriously. Like, it knows that it is a graphic novel adaptation. It doesn't try to be anything else. And it's it's just content to be what it is. And I, I, I can respect that in a director. I, I was telling uh, a friend of mine that I really just think that Edgar Wright is one of the very few directors that could, that could have pulled off Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Like, like, I really think it's one of the best graphic novel adaptations that's ever been done. And I think it's because Edgar Wright, with his his style of cinematography, just fits the world of of manga and and all of that goes into that. All right, Brad, we've gone like 10 minutes already and we have not thrown over to America's favorite segment. Brad explains as we prepare for that gem, we we're gonna we're gonna say real quick, whether this is your first time listening to our podcast or the hundredth time, we'd love to encourage you to go visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash film whiskey. There you can support us at three different levels, a three, five, and seven dollar a month tier. At each tier, you get tons of bonus perks, including access to a patrons only Discord server that we are on every single day. Brad, I like I really love interacting with our patrons. It's like one of my favorite things about this podcast is not just the input that we get from them, but just getting to know the patrons on like such a cool level. Yeah, there, there's some really authentic friendships that have sprung up uh, in the midst of our patron community. And I'm just really thankful for that because uh, a lot of times the Internet is a place where things suck. 
<laughs> and I'm I'm really happy that I feel like we've been able to to provide just the tiniest, teensiest little corner of the internet. That's that's pretty awesome. If you too want to pay for our friendship, you can go visit us at <laughs> patreon.com slash film whiskey. Brad, it is time for Brad Explains, the part of the podcast where my co-host Brad breaks down the plot of the film that he has just seen, often for the first time. Brad, we've put 60 seconds on the clock. Can you break down the plot of Scott Pilgrim versus the world? Scott Pilgrim is a young 22-year-old Canadian who is really struggling to deal with the breakup of someone he thought to be his true love. And in the midst of that, he starts dating a 17-year-old high schooler, which his friends all tell him is an absolutely terrible idea. He eventually meets this girl named Ramona Flowers, who he is wildly interested in. He's had dreams about her. And so he tries to break up with knives, isn't able to do it. And he tries to pursue Ramona and she is interested in him for some reason. So they start dating and knives becomes his stalker. Uh, Scott's in a band that is really terrible. They're called the Sex Bombs. He has a gay roommate. His sister is Anna Kendricks. Uh, he fights a bunch of evil ex-boyfriends and girlfriends of uh, Ramona Flowers. And that's like the whole thrust of the movie, that he fights all these bad people. And he figures out in the end that he is worth her love, and she learns that she can be her own person. And it's really beautiful. Boom. Boom. Or should we say ba-bomb? Ba-bomb. All right. <laughs> Bob, we... I have, a question. No, all right, I have a question for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. D- do you know what a ba-bomb is? I do not. Bob, a bomb is the little bomb character that tries to blow oh, Mario yeah, in up Mario. That's in right. The Mario series. I knew yeah. that I had heard of that before. Yeah, you're welcome. How fun. <laughs> okay. So do, do you get it? it I, it's a it's, a, it's a reference to a video. It's game. a reference. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> An avocado. Thanks. <laughs> All right. I got to before we even get into the performances today, Brad, I just I have to ask you about the world of this movie, because I don't really know how much more I can talk about the movie without understanding where you're coming from in your interpretation of it and trying to figure out what I think about it. Like, is this movie supposed to be a what's like anime called manga? Uh, Yeah, manga is anime is animated right manga is a comic book okay and i always i always worry that i'm going to say whatever the name of the porn one is uh had hentai yeah yeah hentai don't say that all right don't don't not the porn one (laughs) (laughs) this is one of the best hentai ever written oh my gosh i loved it (laughs) okay um is this movie supposed to be like a japanese manga or anime that just happens to be live action like do these people actually have real powers are they actually fighting or are we just watching like a a fantastical version of something that's happening in the real world in this kind of drab setting that is like a a heightened imagined version of what's going on uh i would lean towards the second one i know that this is written Hmm. I I did a little bit of research for this, uh, and by this I mean two facts and a falsehood, obviously. And in that research, I learned that this isn't necessarily a manga. 
I, d- I don't believe it was written in Japan. I believe it, it was, was written yeah. in the US or in Canada. I would guess maybe in Canada because it is like set in Canada, the actual graphic novel. And so I, I believe that it's just a world where Scott Pilgrim has been living a normal life and it is thrown upside down by this girl, Ramona. And now he has superpowers, kind of, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah, and I'm just I'm just along for the ride, man. I, I'm, I'm just letting it be. I'm not asking too many questions. Clearly, because I'm asking too many. So we're, we're balancing out here because because like halfway through this movie, not even halfway, I texted you and I was like, man, I am not digging this thing. And you were like, don't worry, it gets better. But then you also said, you know, for a guy that really likes Eternal Sunshine, I thought that you would be in on this movie a little more than you seem to be. And that's fair. I think Eternal Sunshine is a pretty good comparison. I think an even better comparison would be 500 Days of Summer, which is a movie that I really, really like. But in that Mm. movie especially, I don't want to say that, like, I I sound like I'm advocating for, like, a really simplistic, spoon-fed version of this movie where the director tells me, now this is the real world (laughs) and this is what he's imagining. I mean, I was thinking it. I was Yeah, I mean, it's true. It's true. I just, I really struggle with trying to understand what are the actual rules of this movie. Is Brandon Routh actually punching this small girl hard enough in the face (laughs) that he knocks the highlights out of her hair? Like, what what is going on with the violence on screen? I'm really, really struggling with this. I I mean, I... Bob, I'm going to be honest with you. I did not expect you to take this movie so seriously. <laughs> like, like, I don't want to take it, it so seriously. Like, that's the thing is I don't <laughs> want to think about this movie any more than I have to, but it's just bothering me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you have <laughs> when you have Brandon Routh punching a small Asian girl's highlights out of her hair, I think at a certain point you just go like, "Oh, this is just this is just a comic book movie. Like, like everything's just thrown against the wall to see what sticks. <laughs> I mean, like, even if I had been watching this movie with sheer boredom and my eyes glaze over to that point, <laughs> like he hits this girl in the face so hard that her highlights fly against the wall like splattered brains. And, you know, my head kind of cocked to the side. And I was like, huh, what, what's, uh, what's going Dude, on here? I just thought I think this movie is so so funny and like that is one of the perfect moments of the movie where you're just like i don't i guess it it, this is probably the epitome of a movie where you're either in or you're like way out and i really like that about the movie like honestly i like it when a movie is it doesn't allow you to sit on the fence either it's committed it's committed but it's also made with such a singular vision that you're either on board or you're not and there is no in between and i think I mean, clearly you can tell where I'm falling on this, but that doesn't mean I don't respect the movie. <laughs> well, that's what I that's why I love the fact that we're doing these director miniseries, because I think it gives us a chance to really flesh out who these directors are. And like when you look at Edgar Wright, I think that Scott Pilgrim versus the world is like a perfect example of of his very strong style and vision. And I think it's an example of how. You know, there's certain directors that we watch, like a Scorsese, where like when you watch a Scorsese film, you know you have just watched Martin Scorsese, the the (laughs) master of modern cinema. Yeah. Right. And like, I think that some people can look down on a director like Edgar Wright, who just 
I think he is as singularly unique and focused in his vision as somebody like Scorsese. He just does it with a lot zanier concepts. And he does it with things like Shaun of the Dead and Baby Driver and and these graphic novels. And it's just wild and crazy. And for me, I've just not seen an Edgar Wright movie that I wasn't at just had a lot of fun with. It's definitely a fun movie. I'll give it that. And I I think it's really interesting because the order that we recorded our recent episodes, uh, you know, there's been an episode in between silence and this one, but we, the last episode you and I recorded together was silence. And in that episode, we talked about how it seems on the surface, like silence is an anomaly in Scorsese's catalog because it's, you know, I mean, it came after Wolf of Wall Street and Wolf of Wall Street shares so much in common with Goodfellas and Casino. And that's what you think of when you think Scorsese. But when you really dig beneath the surface, all the themes are still there. And I think it's kind of similar with this movie. We're going to do Baby Driver next week. And honestly, Baby Driver might be the anomaly of Edgar Wright's career to this point, because so many of his movies are about the growing up process and finding a clever metaphor for these, you know, young or middle aged men finally coming to their senses and growing up. And so I think this movie really does have a lot in common with Shaun of the Dead, with The World's End, with Hot Fuzz. Uh, it's just made stylistically a little bit differently. And so that's what threw me off, you know, when it comes to when it comes to like a surface level reading. But beneath the surface, all those themes are still there. Man, I, I feel like you're talking yourself into a higher score as we speak. I don't even have to do anything. here. Nope. don't worry the rug will get pulled out in about 30 minutes here (laughs) let's talk about the performances here uh do you want to start in the periphery with somebody like anna kendricks or do you just want to jump to uh michael Sarah and mary elizabeth winston let's go to my boy mikey c Mikey C. Mikey C. One of one of my favorite gifts of all time is when he walks in and just crumples onto the floor (laughs) asleep with his book bag on I really like Michael Sarah, and he's a very good actor, and he's underrated for what he does. And I think part of the problem with Michael Sarah is like he can only do that, or to mm-hmm. this point, he has only been turned loose to do that. But there's also really nobody else that can do that. I know for a long time people put him up side by side with Jesse Eisenberg, but mm-hmm. they're very different actors. And Michael Sarah's just comic abilities are tip top man they're so so good like can i you, go ahead can you just think about reversing michael Sarah and jesse eisenberg in their 2010 movies oh my gosh <laughs> michael Sarah in, in the social, the social network, network. <laughs> i'm just thinking about the opening scene from the social network and how vastly different it would be <laughs> I wish I could do a Michael Sarah impression, but I got I got nothing. Yeah, it, he's a very specific actor, to say the least. I just think about him in Superbad, which I think is just forever going to be peak Michael Sarah for me, even more than Juno. And the scene in Superbad where the guys are at that party and they ask him to sing, but he's it's so <laughs> awkward. Oh, I just I love him so much in that movie. And he's really good here. I think my issue is that. I don't like Scott Pilgrim that much. Like, I don't like that character. He's not a good person. And the end of the movie is him realizing that he's not been a good person. And that's all fine and good. But it was hard for me to continue watching the movie because 
he was such an obtuse person that it gave the movie like no sense of forward momentum to me. And like, obviously it has tons of forward momentum because you have Edgar Wright, <laughs> like whooshing the camera around everywhere. But do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I think he was really good in the movie, but playing a character that, that had so few redeeming qualities that I almost didn't care. Yeah. I mean, I understand where you're coming from. I, I, I remember at the very start of the film when they're at band practice and he makes a comment about like why he's dating knives and he's like, oh, like we're like we're just dating because she's a girl and I want to date a girl. And and it's just this awkward moment of like, oh, this guy is shallow and has no character. And so I, I was with you at that point. But I think that the rest of the movie develops a sense of like, oh, this isn't just a shallow guy. This is a guy who got his heart just utterly crushed by uh, Brie Larson who's really struggling with putting the pieces of his life back together. Like, honestly, uh, the the thing for me about this film that really worked was the supporting cast. Like, the way his roommate reacts when Envy calls him or when somebody else, you know, says her name in, in Scott's presence. Like, you can tell that his friends are all kind of sarcastic a-holes, but they genuinely care about Scott, which A, gives me the impression that Scott has been a good guy throughout the years. And B, gives me the impression that he's really struggling right now and they're trying to care for him as best as they can. Mm -hmm. And so I guess those pieces for me helped move his character arc along to the point in the movie where he literally gets the powerful weapon of like self-respect. And that's like the culmination of his character arc. I, I actually thought he had a really nice character arc. And beyond that, I, I'm with you 200% on his comedy. Like, the moment when, and this is partially Edgar Wright just using the camera well, but the moment when Knives comes and knocks on the door and uh, his roommate Wallace goes to answer it and he, like, kind of moves the camera with the doorway to put Michael Sarah out of the picture and then he jumps through the window <laughs> and reaches back in and grabs his coat. I just... It's moments like that where I'm like, this movie is just brilliant, and I, I love what they're doing. All right. So on the other side of things, you have Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Ramona. I think she's fantastic in this movie. I also will say that I spent a good portion of this movie saying to myself, why does she look so familiar to me? And I mean, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is a, I would say, semi-famous actress. Like, she's been in some movies. But it's because her character reminded me so much, not of another character played by the same actress, but of Lizzie Kaplan's character from Mean Girls. And I was like, oh, they look almost exactly alike when you put them next to each other. And it really threw me off for a while because I spent, I'd say, 15 minutes maybe being like, have I seen this movie? She seems really <laughs> familiar. <laughs> Man, I have not seen Mean Girls since high school. Yeah. So I have no memory of that film. Oh, okay. Well, then you can just agree with me. Tell me I'm right. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably wrong. And we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love Mary Elizabeth Winsett in this. I think that she is the perfect counterbalance to Michael Sarah in this because all of his his compatriots are just wildly overplayed in the in the most perfect way. And she plays such a calm, cool, collected character that moves to a place of uncertainty. And the more you get to know her alongside our protagonist, 
the more you realize, like, she's just a broken, hurting young girl trying to find her way in the world as well. I just think that her character has a really beautiful way of engaging with Scott and kind of drawing him forward out of his place of depression and struggle. And I think that Mary Elizabeth Winstead does a a really phenomenal job of highlighting her own struggle while she's looking to Scott for something new in her life. And I, I, I thought she did a pretty killer job here, man. One thing that this movie really does have going for it, though, is that it it includes, I'd say, a dozen up and coming actors who all went on to have incredible careers after yep. this film. Even some of the actors that are lesser known by the general public, like Alison Pill. I mean, they've all had incredible careers in indie movies and, and and smaller films to the point where I'm watching the opening credits and I'm like, oh, my gosh, how did they ever afford all these people? And it's just because they hadn't really blown up yet. Yeah, I mean, you have Aubrey Plaza in here. You have Anna Kendrick. Uh, even I don't know if he's really ever blown up, but uh, Macaulay Culkin's brother, Kieran Culkin. So we are not uh, mm-hmm. a we're not a TV podcast, but he is on probably the most popular TV show in the world right now called Succession on HBO. Oh, He's one of the main okay. characters in that. So if you know, I think his character's name is Roman on that. I've never watched Succession, but I've, I've always wanted to. But yeah, so he's even, you know, thrust himself to the fore of public consciousness now. It's crazy there, how there many people Chris Evans is in this movie. I mean, uh, you know, to the point where even in the scene where the vegan police break in both of those guys are like really famous actors in terms of like having done a ton of stuff one of them is thomas jane who played the punisher the other one is a character actor named clifton collins jr give he gave one of my favorite performances of the century uh back in 2005 in the movie capote like it was just it's so cool to see the people that keep popping up in this movie and and the roster is so deep bob i just you're gonna give this movie like a five and a half or a six and say just every single nice thing in the world about it. And I'm just going to be I'm just letting you know now I'm going to be flabbergasted. Well, in order to steer out of that conversation, because we'll, we will get final scores later on. I think it's time for us to hit pause and try this whiskey. What do you say? Let's get to it, Bob. Lately, I've been finding myself pulling whiskeys off the shelf that are consistently unique. Uh, ones that tell a good story every time I pop the cork, and I have to say that Doc Swinson's is absolutely top tier when it comes to a fascinating pour. What separates Doc Swinson's from the rest of the pack is their unrelenting goal of always letting the whiskey shine. No matter what whiskey comes through the front door at Doc's, their team of tasters will blend and finish it into something that is deliciously memorable. The beautiful thing about a good blended whiskey is that oftentimes, with proper care and attention, they turn into a whiskey that is truly greater than the sum of their parts. Whether you're trying their Alter Ego, Blender's Cut, or Exploratory Series, you are guaranteed to have a phenomenal experience with Doc Swinson's whiskey. You can find them online at docswhiskey.com. That's D-O-C-S whiskey.com. All right, so today we are checking out Puncher's Chance Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Brad, this bad boy is one of the most attractive bottles on the shelf right now, especially at the price point. Yeah, 30 bucks, and it is like matte black with this awesome like Mike Tyson tiger 
curling down the front. It's just a cool freaking bottle of bourbon, man. It's got just that little bit of a fade to transparent at the Mm -hmm. bottom of the bottle, kind of like how New Riff does. And I really Mm -hmm. love that effect. You know, again, like I said, at the price point, there's not a lot of really pretty bottles out there. And I think that, like, you could look at this bottle and say, oh, that looks kind of gimmicky. But again, like, if if you're only buying whiskeys in the $35 price range, like, this is one of the best looking ones you can get to put on your shelf. So just yeah. from the get go, I'm going to say Puncher's Chance. Great job on your packaging. Yeah. And a lot of times... It's it's like a company will do just a good enough job to make me suspicious of the product within. <laughs> but this one, I'm like, you know what? I just that's just a cool bottle. And I'm I'm totally in. I don't I don't for some reason I don't feel like they're trying to pull the hood over us. So Puncher's Chance is owned by a distillery in Eugene, Oregon called Wolf Spirit Distillery. But what is in the bottle is actually sourced whiskey. It's why it's called a Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. It does not say where it is sourced from, but there is a company that's been set up in Bardstown, Kentucky called Puncher's Chance Bourbon. So they're sourcing it from somewhere in Bardstown, probably. This clocks in at 90 proof. So, Brad, it's a little bit softer and lighter than what we've been doing for a majority of this season so far, but I'm excited to get into it. I've really, really enjoyed this as I've had it before. I, it's been a few months since I've gone back to this bottle. I'm excited to see where it takes me this time. Yeah, I tried this when we got it a little while ago and remember thinking like, man, 30 bucks, this is like a solid pour. Uh, and then today, as I got into it again, the the nose here, Bob, is is just this like really nice, like movie popcorn butter like like not popcorn itself, but like the butter that you put on it. It's just very rich. Um, and then there's lots of nice vanilla and caramel. It has a nice, pleasant nose, but nothing that like stands out for it. So I'll, I'll give it a seven out of 10 on the nose. It's often hard to distinguish for me what kind of sweetness I'm picking up on a bourbon. You know, like we sometimes we say honey, sometimes we say caramel or brown sugar. Mm-hmm. And sometimes yep. it's just kind of vaguely sweet. This one, I will say, does a really good job of, and I mean this as a compliment, almost having like an artificial sweetness to it on the nose. Like it almost, it smells like cotton candy or Mm -hmm. bubble gum, like a powdery, like when you unwrap a stick of of pink bubble gum and it has that powder on the outside of it. That's what I pick up on the nose here. And I get how you're you're picking up some of that popcorn butter. But for me, the thing that's really just kind of hitting me as I put my nose in this is that dusty bubble gum or cotton candy smell. I like it a lot. I'm going to give it a seven and a half on the nose. It's kind of like that, like the big league chew. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Oh man, that takes me back. Uh, The palette here is like, I'm going to just copy what you said, Bob. It's like kind of pleasantly generically sweet. Uh, It's definitely got that buttery notes still going on. Um, for me, the the most complex thing I got was that there's a few hints of like peanut kind of throughout. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's just a really nice above average bourbon so far. So it's, I give it a seven out of ten. Yeah, man. And it's easy to drink. It doesn't seem watered down. If there is something I'm going to knock it for, it's that the mouthfeel is kind of thin, but it has a lot of that peanutty kind of flavor to it. It reminds me of some Heaven Hill products. I'm not going to go as far as to say that I think this is Heaven Hill but it reminds me of some of those products. I really like this a lot. If it wasn't for that thin mouthfeel, I think my score might be even higher here, but the alcohol makes itself known and it's also not harsh. And so it has a really nice balance to it on the palate. I'm going to give it a, oh heck, I'll give it an eight out of 10. 
Yeah, and then we get into the finish. Uh, for me, the finish is where this struggles just a little bit. Uh, it's kind of short. It's a little bit oaky. There's bits of vanilla going on. Um, some of that butteriness comes through, but there, there's not a lot of spice there. Uh, not a lot of depth on the finish. It's still solid, uh, but I'll, I'll jump down a little bit, give it a six out of ten. Yeah, I'm going to give it a six and a half. I'm, I'm kind of with you. Uh, there is just a touch of an almost like herbal or piney thing going on on the back of my palate here that was just slightly unpleasant. Uh, but like I said, there's not a ton of alcohol burn, even though the alcohol makes itself known. I like this finish for the most part, but I'm going to give it a six and a half. Yeah, and the balance, this is a decently balanced whiskey. Uh, I'll give it a six and a half. The, the, big, the big struggle is that there's nothing really that pops with the flavor um but there's nothing that stands out poorly for me either so i'm it's it's pretty solid yeah i'm gonna give it a seven and a half on the balance and again it might be because i already know what the cost of this is and so i'm being kind of light on it but i mean again like we always keep in mind the value of this and i think when we get to the value i'll reflect this a little bit better but this is a really solid whiskey for the price and it comes in really cool packaging. So it's like, you know, it's like a double bonus. I'm going to give it a seven and a half on the balance. Yeah. And then we're at the value category. Bob, we already said it. This bottle costs $30. Uh, and I think I'll give it a seven out of 10. Like this is like a really solid value for just an all around nice bourbon. Yeah. I'm also going to give it a seven. It's yeah. Everything you said is correct. I'm not I have nothing to add to it. Really solid, pleasant. I'm going to forget that I drank this in about 15 minutes, but it's okay because it was a really good experience while it lasted. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I'm coming to a 33.5 out of 50, Bob. Where are you at? I'm at a 36.5, which frankly I think is a little too high for this. I was probably a bit influenced by the fact that it is only a $30 bottle of whiskey. But again, like I don't regret giving it that score either. There was nothing about this that I would call a negative experience whatsoever. Yeah, normally we would say that 35 out of 50 is where we would stick for, you know, a recommendation. I'm actually I'm going to recommend you buy a bottle. Uh don't buy it if you're out at the bar cuz honestly just spend an extra 25 bucks and and get yourself a really cool looking bottle with a really solid whiskey inside that you could pour for anybody. So, yeah, you're right. 35 is exactly where we're coming out on this. I, too, am going to recommend buying and uh, and I will say not trying. Like you said, it's not really worth getting a pour of it at the bar. Just go ahead and drop the 30 bucks. I don't know. You agree with me on that? Yeah, 100 percent. All right. Yeah. So two thumbs up from Bob and Brad here on Puncher's Chance Bourbon. Let's just be honest, Bob. This is a kick ass bottle. <laughs> it's really it's really cool. <laughs> How many of our points were awarded on bottle alone? Man, I, the fact that the whiskey inside is like solid, like I'd give it like a B minus to B range whiskey inside with really freaking cool packaging. I'm I'm sold, man. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of things that are like a C wrapped around a, a B packaging, let's get back into talking about Scott Pilgrim versus the world. What do you that, say? You literally just changed my words, Bob, but uh, I, I suppose we can get back into it. Today's sponsor is a little bit of a departure from our usual area of expertise, and man, oh man, I was blown away by their product once we received it. I am talking about Manscaped. Now, if you're like me at all, you've probably seen the Manscaped ads and kind of wondered to yourself, like, do I really need, like, some sort of specialty trimmer to take care of my downstairs business? 
And I've just got to be honest, I was absolutely wrong. Uh, their trimmer is called the Lawnmower 4.0, and I gotta say, it is the Rolls Royce of trimmers. It's got a ceramic blade that reduces grooming mishaps, a wireless charging base, and an awesome flashlight that keeps things illuminated while you're working. And beyond all that, it's waterproof. This thing is really changing the game when it comes to below-the-belt hygiene. Now, this is just me talking about my experience, but this trimmer really is way beyond anything I've ever used to keep things neat and tidy. You can use our discount code FILMWHISKEY to get 20% off your order and free shipping. Head on over to manscaped.com and use code FILMWHISKEY to get 20% off free shipping and you will be well on your way to hygiene heaven. All right, everybody, that was Puncher's Chance, a whiskey that we are really impressed with, Bob. Yeah, I'm a big fan. Yeah. You know what else I'm a big fan of? Uh, I'm going to say this movie. Two facts and a falsehood. Two facts and a falsehood. See, see what I did? I led you astray there, and you, you get the wrong answer. Also known as Bob's Weekly Slaughter. <laughs> so far, it, it, it has felt that way. I believe I am two and six on the season now. Uh, somewhere around there, Bob, yeah. Yikes. Yikes. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's just a great time. I'm having a blast with it. Let me tell you this real quick. I went back. And I looked at Adam Driver's IMDb because your Mm -hmm. question was phrased. This was Adam Driver's first film since Midnight Special, and he lost over 40 pounds for the role. Yeah. So we already established that if he lost over 60 pounds, then he lost over 40 pounds. So I'm correct there. Yep. Uh, Midnight Special was filmed in 2014 and not released till 2016. Silence got filmed that fall. And the movie that came out in between the two of them was not filmed until the following year. So it ah. was, in fact, his first film since Midnight Special. There you go. I was wrong. I might take the point. Yeah, I think you can with that <laughs> amount of work you've done. I will go to great lengths to prove my rightness. <laughs> I'm proud of you, man. <laughs> All right, Brad, let's get into two facts and a falsehood where Brad presents three items to me as fact, and I have to decide which one is completely bogus. Fact number one, whenever the moon in this movie is shown, it is full and there is a hole in it. Ramona's third boyfriend, Todd Ingram, the psychic vegan, is mentioned in a flashback to have punched a hole there for her when they dated. Hmm. In the graphic novel, he also punches a second hole in the moon for Envy Adams. Nice. Fact, nice. fact number two. Zack Snyder, fresh off his smash hit, just impeccable masterpiece, Watchmen, uh, was approached to direct an adaptation of the Scott Pilgrim comic. But a few years later in an interview, he said, and I'm quoting, Scott Pilgrim wasn't exactly in my wheelhouse and instead directed a movie called Legends of the Guardians of Gahul. That's true. He did do that movie. Mm hmm. Fact number three. Originally, the film only had a short title card at the beginning. Uh, However, legendary director Quentin Tarantino suggested to Edgar Wright uh, really late into post-production that there should actually be like a pre-title credit sequence that could almost be like a prologue of sorts that introduced the audience to the characters. Edgar Wright thought it was a phenomenal idea and went with it. And that is what we have in the movie now. Hmm. Once again, man, really good job on this. Thank you. Huh. I 
the Zack Snyder thing is throwing me because I really didn't like Watchmen. So this tells me that maybe Zack Snyder, maybe this wasn't Zack Snyder's wheelhouse because he makes movies I don't like. So this would have been, (laughs) this would have been right in line with a Zack Snyder. (laughs) Dude, I knew nothing about Watchmen and some of my friends in high school were like, hey, let's go watch this comic book movie. And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Like, and all of a sudden there's just, just blue, you know what, swinging everywhere. Just real blue genitals. (laughs) So Zack Snyder, I didn't even mean to make this a Zack Snyder thing. We're never going to do a Zack Snyder movie on this podcast, probably. But never, never, ever. Zack Snyder makes movies for people who have never thought deeply about anything. (laughs) And he makes them with just enough style that they seem deep to those people and those people only. Bob, you, you do know that we're like monetizing now. (laughs) <laughs> and there might be some people in our audience that like him, and you should probably like. Uh, I should, I should back bit. off. Yeah, all right. All yeah, right, yeah. Right. <laughs> Too many hot takes today for me, <laughs> dude. I'm with you, man. Like, I remember watching 300 in high school and being like, "Wow, that was like kind of cool." Like, yeah, man, there's these Spartans killing people, and it's it's history and and neat. But but like looking back on it, I'm like, that was a weird movie, bro. <laughs> yeah, and there was like this really odd subsection of people that thought that it was a masterpiece because it mm-hmm. it had the look of a masterpiece to people who thought that that's what a masterpiece should look like. You know what I mean? Do you think that do you think that they all liked like love fight club as well? <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> all right. So, it I think for me it's either number 2 or number 3 that's the falsehood. I don't remember reading anything about Tarantino in regards to this movie, but I also don't remember reading anything about Zack Snyder. It does seem like they could have approached Zack Snyder about it. Um, I think it's probably more likely that Tarantino had some involvement with this than that Zack Snyder did. So I'm going to say two is the falsehood, and that's based on absolutely nothing. <laughs> Robert, you are 100% correct. Yeah, all right. You got one, man. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to throw you a little bit with the the truth that he he directed uh, Guardians of Gahul. Yeah, yeah. Because he did do that. However, he was never approached to do this movie. As far as I know, I looked it up and it didn't say anything about it. Somebody's going to come at me and be like, they actually did talk to him about it. <laughs> uh, but I couldn't find anything online about it, so... You're correct. So, Brad, as I think about this movie, I have very little left to say. <laughs> However, and I don't mean that as a negative. I just like I I didn't think there was much there behind this movie's cool visuals. So I really struggled to find like back half of the episode conversation. But I do think that it would be interesting to hear us talk about or to hear you talk about the movies that that are spiritual cousins to this that we've done on the show. So an eternal sunshine or 500 days of summer, or even to some extent, like a Walter Mitty where, where he's daydreaming about himself. And it, it even kind of reminds me a little bit of the, uh, the Beatles musical, uh, across the universe. universe. Yeah. A a little bit. Yeah. I think, I think I'm thinking more in terms of like that. There is a male protagonist who needs to learn how to grow up a little bit or Mm. like come into his own. Yeah. And I guess my question to you is like, what makes this a successful one of those movies? And where would you kind of rank it among those films, you know, based on the ones we've watched for the show? 
well, definitely not as good as Eternal Sunshine. Uh, obviously, <laughs> not not on that level of filmmaking. Um, I think that the reason I really enjoyed this movie is because it's a highly stylized cinema with a really basic, simple underlying story of like two people who are struggling in the world to understand what love is, who have been burned in the past, who are like really cautiously dancing around each other throughout the entirety of the film. And by the end of it, they they realize they're like, you know what, like, let's give it a shot. Like, this is this is worth a go. And I think that that's a really honest take of what dating looks like in today's culture, that there's just so much trepidation and worry uh, about being hurt, about how this person will affect my sense of self-esteem. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's really good. I, I think the movie ta- talks before it was really popular. Uh, it really takes on toxic masculinity, which I know is like a, a buzz phrase uh, nowadays. But like it just flat out talks about the fact that like Ramona was controlled by a really evil guy. Yeah. Who who's not healthy for her and, and she isn't able to be herself around him. And so I, I think that the battle for her soul, if you could put it that way, is like really cool to watch because in the midst of Scott trying to help her, he finds himself and she realizes that she's worth fighting for and that she's not just an object and she's not just, you know, something to be controlled. And so I think in the midst of all of these other movies that we've talked about where it's about, you know, somebody coming up and learning more about themselves and, a, you know, a young man. I think that one of the reasons I like this movie is because it's not just the young man doing that. It's also the young lady in the movie. Mm. Um, That's a good point. Yeah, I think I'd put this pretty high up there uh, among the movies you said. Obviously higher than Eternal Sunshine. Uh, What was was the other one you said? My mind's going blank. 500 Days of Summer, Walter Mitty. Yeah. I think I'd put this above both of those. Wow. 500 Days of Summer would be the closest. Walter Mitty is just one of the most pretty movies we've ever watched, though. Yeah, it's a really pretty movie. It's just gorgeous. So, yeah, I I think I'd put this on top of all those. I think what we have discovered here is like the alternate universe version of Eternal Sunshine, because we are going to come out Mm -hmm. in like this. This is to you what Eternal Sunshine is to me and vice versa. Like, (laughs) I don't care for this and you really like it. And essentially, we were watching the same movie like you were you were very astute in pointing out that these are in many ways the same film, that it's about people trying to forget their exes or get over the damage of their exes. It's about quirky people with colorful hair (laughs) Mm -hmm. running around in their own memories or fantasies or whatever. And yeah, Uh, you know what I'm realizing as you're saying this? I think that the reason I like this more than Eternal Sunshine, because you're right, it's the exact same movie. Uh, is the fact that this is fun and eternal sunshine is just really depressing. And, and see, I like, love eternal it, sunshine and, oh, and, it and takes part itself of itself so seriously. Uh, and part of my point was going to be, I love that last scene in eternal sunshine. And again, that's probably why I like the end of this movie so much better than the rest of it. 
is that, you know, it mirrors the end of Eternal Sunshine where Kate Winslet goes to Jim Carrey's character and says like, hey, why would you even want to get back together with me? We don't even remember each other at this point. I'm probably going to do a bunch of effed up things and make you angry and make you hate me. And he just shrugs his shoulders and says, okay. And then she goes, okay. And they decide to try it again. And like, that is, I mean, again, it's essentially exactly what happens at the end of this movie. So we're talking about mirror images of each other here. And Jim Carrey is Canadian. Oh, there it is. And this movie's set in Canada, so they're twins. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man, I think that it's time for final scores. Do you want me to get mine out of the way first, or do you want to shed some positivity here before I come in with a a hard fist of reality? Give your crappy score, Bob. Go for it. I think that until the last 20 minutes of this movie, I was prepared to say that my enjoyment level of the film was like a three. Even while acknowledging like, hey, this is better made than a three, but I just don't think any of it works. So I'm trying to hedge a little bit here. I'm going to say I'm going to give it a five and a half out of ten. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it less than that. Like I enjoyed (laughs) it like a four point five out of ten. But I think that it is still well made enough to begrudgingly say that it's just above the midway point for me. Is it just your bitterness towards like video games and the fact that you got left behind so long ago? Is it? <laughs> I'm just, I'm really curious what, uh, what I don't know. There's, there's some bitterness there somewhere, but I haven't like mined <laughs> to the core of it yet. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll do that in our next counseling session, Bob. Absolutely. Uh, I'll give this an eight out of 10, Bob. Like it's, it's solid. It's funny. Yeah, dude. Some of the lines in this, like when Ramona and Scott are just having a conversation about garlic bread (laughs) and and Scott's like, I would eat this literally all the time if I could. And Ramona's like, well, then you'd get fat. He's like, why would I get fat? She goes, because bread makes you fat. (laughs) The way Michael Sarah responds with bread makes you fat and then boom, cut. You're on to the next scene. Like, it's just a perfect moment to exemplify what Edgar Wright does as a director. Uh, and yeah, I think it's the perfect illustration of like why I love this movie. It It's kind of just inane and there's a lot of it that feels like it's not building towards anything. And yet by the end of the film, you are moved by the story that he has told. And I, I really enjoy that. This is a movie I could come back to every like two or three years and just have a few good laughs and enjoy it. All right, so we're coming out to an average of a 6.5 out of 10, but we'd like to know what you think. If you've seen Scott Pilgrim, if you want to rake me over the coals, you can find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and newly on TikTok, at Film Whiskey. You can also find us on Discord. Uh, If you've never heard of Discord before, it is a really simple platform where you can just chat and talk to only the people you want to talk to. Uh, man, we need to get Discord to sponsor the show right. at some point because uh, we love it. Well, I'm such a huge fan. It's a it's a tight knit community of only the people you want to be in communication with. So jump on our Discord. It's a really fun, as I said before, it's a really fun little corner of the Internet that's pretty uplifting. Uh, we have a good time there. You can find a link to our Discord at the end of every single one of our show notes. Next week, we'll be back talking about Baby Driver, one of the first movies Brad and I ever bonded over. 
I'm really excited to revisit that one, even though its cast is now a minefield of <laughs> of cancellations. <laughs> so we'll uh, we'll talk about star Jamie Foxx in that movie next week. <laughs> yes, but and only talk and, about and him. only Jamie Foxx. But until then, I'm Bob Book. I'm Brad G. And we'll see you next time.